recording. All right. There we go. Sure. So, uh, uh, hello, welcome, Kerry. Uh, so today in this chat, we'll be talking uh, about mostly cross-disciplinary innovation processes, which are being experimented on in in larger corporations. Uh, and Kerry Bimaya here is. Uh, part of one such uh, large corporation, Capgemini, uh, and he will be sharing with us some uh, some of his experience about how it is, uh, how challenging it is uh, to run a cross-disciplinary process in while you have to uh, adjust for existing incentive structures and existing KPI-related uh, performance measures which exist in large corporations and cannot be ignored. So uh, we'll start with a brief introduction of Kerry. Uh, so Kerry, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Nice to have this conversation with you, Vinay. So as mentioned, I am an engagement manager at Fahrenheit 212, which is um, an innovation strategy firm which is based in New York, which was bought uh, and integrated into Capgemini uh, in the Capgemini Invent uh, department. So Capgemini has had a, a very serious uh, ambition in order to become seen as an innovation partner in the market with its existing clients. Currently, Capgemini is known for its delivery excellence uh, in terms of helping companies with their you know, IT infrastructure and IT systems kinds of uh, projects. And around a few years back, around three or four years back, they created Capgemini Invent in order to really address this aspect of um, uh, innovation partners. Uh, they did something quite smart. Rather than going ahead and you know uh, taking existing uh, personnel and training them to become innovation managers, they went out and bought a number of companies and integrated that into um, this new unit called Capgemini Invent. Uh, it's a pretty large uh, unit. It's not it's not small. There's around 2,000 consultants today spread all over the world. Uh, the biggest unit, of course, being in, in, in France, in Paris, where I'm based. And uh, Fahrenheit kind of was, was acquired because we were known as innovation strategists. We had done a lot of work for large companies already, uh, including uh, lots of banks, uh, technology companies like Samsung. We have a very uh, um, well-known use case over there. Um, and so we were bought inside in order to ensure that we could actually be kind of like the tip of the spear uh, in order to, you know, help the clients kind of have a different perspective in terms of solving their challenges, create a new kind of identity through us for Capgemini um, in terms of being innovation people. And more importantly, also leverage the existing resources. Capgemini has got a large number of engineers, technicians, data scientists, you know, people who are very, very good on the, the tech and data side of things. They were just missing to a certain extent, how do you actually gamify or how do you actually put into place this innovation uh, ang um, um, cover on top of all of this? And so that's kind of like my job. So we are right now in Capgemini Invent, there are six departments. Uh, there's mm -hmm. stuff like um, future of technology, uh, insight from data, et cetera, et cetera. You can find that on the, on the Capgemini Insight website. And we sit in the innovation and strategy unit uh, of these six departments. And my job right now is to be the engagement manager, which means I have to kind of like be the first point of contact with the client, understand what the brief is, figure out how we're going to solve it, and of course, manage the, the teams um, and the quality of the deliverable. 
But recently, I've also been nominated to become the CTO, uh, tech technology officer, not a technical officer, uh, of the Future of Technology division. And so in this way, what we're trying to do is we're trying to connect these separated units today, which all have their own expertise uh, in a much more coherent way so that we can actually do a lot more pragmatic innovation and solve um, you know, existing problems in, in different ways. Right. Uh, and your role as, uh, as, as the engagement manager or as the incoming CTO, as, uh, which is particularly interesting in terms of being able to witness this, the point of from the connecting point uh, mm -hmm. to witness as well as drive the this cross disciplinary so that really uh, is uh, why i found your role really interesting to give us uh, maybe inside peek into how that process runs and what challenges you face so uh, the, the probably the most important challenge is the coordination effort with with the you you, you dealing with very uh, teams which are uh, very different in their work style and their vocabulary they use or, or their their view of uh, the work they're doing and the impact of that work so mm -hmm. uh, how do you how do you manage to become uh, as you mentioned before in our in our exchange uh, as the connective tissue uh, between these different tribes uh, so to say or and 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 drive uh, them to work together on some give them some overlapping surface to work on yeah, so I mean, you need to have, I think, around uh, two or three competencies which are useful for this. Um, I'm, I don't consider myself an expert generalist, but I do kind of know a little bit about everything uh, which is connected to what I do. And within that, I've, I've kind of built up a bit of a reputation for being able to kind of vulgarize technology. I can understand technology, not to the, the minutia of detail, but definitely in an educated way and uh, sufficient enough to go and actually speak to people who are legit uh, data scientists or architect people and say that, okay, fine, you know, how is this working? Why is this technology important? What are the nitty gritty details of 5G, whatever you want to say? Um, and I developed this uh, in my previous career because I did a lot of work in blockchain and then worked as a director of research uh, in a tech startup uh, where we built a AI based, uh, most specifically an NLP based search engine to kind of automatically map um, startups which are coming into the market. So that was one side. Uh, at the same time, I was also a bit of a management theoretician and uh, did a lot of um, studies and worked as a researcher in that field. So when I came to Fahrenheit, one of the reasons why I was happy to become an engagement manager was because it allowed me to kind of complete that theoretical to application gap that I felt was existing in my curriculum. Um, in the process of doing so for the past year or so, I've been able to kind of figure out both parts of how an innovation engine works. You need people who are very creative, who understand business, consumer insights, um, commercial insights, et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, you need to be able to have that shared vocabulary or translated vocabulary with the people who are more technical. Uh, a lot of times what I saw when I first came into this, this uh, into Cap Invent was that there, there was a certain kind of dissonance. There was a certain kind of miscomprehension between the two. Um, and that's kind of like one of the main challenges. You know, you've got to be that middleman between that, between those two people, um, those two groups of people. Because at the end of the day, you're going to the client and the client just wants a solution or they want to be able to do something better. 
Um, so your ability to kind of understand that, use your existing knowledge base in order to say that, okay, guys, innovation team, this is how we're actually going to try figuring out solutions to it. And more importantly, bring the technicians at the very beginning of the conversation as well, so that you can kind of like embark them and take into consideration all the technical possibilities and constraints. That helps you address the problem of the client in a much more pragmatic way. Um, the whole thesis around this is just to conclude is that when working with innovation before, we saw just a huge amount of waste. You know, there would be a, a lot of projects which would start off and then you'd have a sandbox or a hackathon and this and that and workshops. And at the end of it, you throw away 90% of all that effort. So I, I found that to be highly ineffective. And what we've been developing right now at, at Capgemini Invent is a way to kind of increase that efficiency and it's starting to show results. Yeah, uh, even in my own experience as, uh, which is not the typical experience of working both as a data analyst on one side and on the other side work helping some e-commerce businesses with brand strategy. Mm -hmm. These are two different sides uh, of the same business, but uh, mm -hmm. usually the people who are working on either side either don't trust the other side that much or don't value their work that much. <laughs> Maybe the sales guys will say uh, the, that the engineers, they just build what they like to build. They don't care what the customer wants. Or the uh, engineers will say, sales guys just talk about it. They don't build real stuff. So there's a lot of mistrust or lack of uh, enough exchange between uh, them about about the impact of their work and what exactly they're doing. So uh, it looks like there is a, a more uh, rising uh, value in, there's a low hanging fruit of uh, that, that companies can pick by connecting these different tribes uh, within the company as well as from the company to the outside uh, ecosystem as well. So, uh, yeah, I agree with what you said on that. So, uh, I would say, uh, like, uh, let's talk about the performance measures which have been existing and how they are, uh, how, how do you handle those without uh, totally which are not ignorable especially for senior executives which drive a lot of decision making process yeah. uh, incentive structure and these measures which are institutionalized there they require it there needs to be a approach that can work with them instead of uh, uh, wishing they would just go away uh, so how are you uh, handling that uh, okay, so I've been handling that in, in, in a bunch of different ways. And you I think, as, uh, as in your role as well as what you have uh, you know, uh, witnessed in, in, in the teams you have been part of, of, of yeah. uh, creating newer, newer KPI uh, uh, measures. Yeah, I, so you're, you're not going to get rid of KPIs, okay? I mean, anyone who thinks that they're going to get rid of it, uh, forget about it. Um, because so many people have already got that KPI mindset and um, uh, work according to that, that if you go ahead and say that, okay, we're gonna get rid of everything and change everything, it just creates a lot of issues. The second thing that needs to be taken into consideration is you're not gonna break silos. Silos will always exist. Uh, since the time of Alexander the Great, we've been trying to break silos, it doesn't work. So 
I found that what you needed to do was what we mentioned before, having better connective tissue, making those silos maybe a bit more porous so that there's more uh, information and conversation exchange between them, because that's how you influence the decision-making process. You need to get more and more perspectives inside. Um, and the common thread that kind of links all these different components in a value chain of a company is always cash flow. So you've got, you know, the whole reason for creating all these things is, yeah, it's got reputation benefits, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you want to be able to say that you are having financial impact, you're having growth impact, et cetera, et cetera. And the best way to measure that is through cash. Um, thankfully, I was very lucky because the group CTO who has taken on the role for not too long is very in line with that kind of mindset. And so when I first met him in January and kind of, he asked me pretty much the same question. So how would you deal with it? I kind of told him, I said, maybe we should kind of try to simplify this, this concept. You know, we, we seem to be lost in change management frameworks and this and that. Uh, why don't we talk in a language that everyone understands, whether you're a technician or a data scientist or a innovation guy or a creative person, you understand the concept of cash coming into the system. And so what we did was all the existing KPIs which are there, we tried to make sure that we boiled off whatever was, you know, maybe uh, measurement for the sake of measurement type of, of KPIs uh, and translated them into how does this actually impact the bottom line? How is this mm -hmm. either doing three things? Either it's going to be allowing a solution, a product, service, whatever you want to call it, to enter a new market. And if it's an adjacent market, then it's not too disruptive. If it's like a totally different market, then it's very disruptive. Um, but does it make sense, right? Do, do you do mm -hmm. that? The second thing you want to do is, does this product solution or, or business line, uh, how is it actually reducing the cost uh, or improving the efficiency of the cost system within this company? And the third aspect is, if you're going to be using a technology solution or you're going to get new kind of talent, whatever it is, how does it influence the other two, right? Mm. And so the moment yeah. you start putting it with, with that kind of a thing, and I had to do this with my innovation guys because we have a lot of creative people who are, Top of the line. These are mm -hmm. best that we could find, uh, especially in the Paris team. They're very, very good mm -hmm. and they're very expensive. <laughs> so mm -hmm. when we got these guys in, you know, we had to kind of make them understand that this is the way we are going to do it. We want you to do be creative. We want you to do all those different things. But at the end of the day, this is a business. We need to figure out how exactly the solutions that are being constructed. And we have a very rigorous method methodology for doing innovation. We've been doing it for 20 mm -hmm. years. So how does the, the, the output of the process impact these three points. And especially if you're talking to operational people, I'm not talking about management because management are, are the people who really deal with uh, KPIs, right? Mm. So I tell my team when I'm working with them, I said, your job is to make our manager look good. And the way you make him look good is you make sure that we're addressing these three things because he will translate that into the group's KPIs. That's his job. He's got to do that and your performance is going to be based on that. Your uh, recompensation, et cetera, et cetera. And you, we do the same thing even when we're working with the technical teams. Are you coming up with, uh, you know, you're, you're proposing a machine learning solution? Okay, fine. Tell me the entire data value, uh, data pipeline. How mm -hmm. in the process of creating this, you know, whether it's collecting data, cleaning data, applying the algorithm, selecting the model, whatever it is, is it addressing these three points? And when the moment you do this, what you also do is you put these two tribes which were previously in some kind of weird competition they are now kind of, you know, facing the same burden and misery loves company, as we know. 
So that's kind of been quite useful in terms of just being able for, for them to say that, okay, fine, now we have at least the base of a common vocabulary. And then there's other things that we have done on top of that, which are not directly KPI related, but I can get into that uh, if needed. Okay. So I, uh, I guess this uh, refactoring of the older KPIs into, let's say, cash as KPI, the new KPI, kind of helps uh, uh, helps bring more skin in the game as well uh, uh, for, 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 for people to, to take more shared ownership, as you said, bringing people in uh, in the beginning of the process itself, everyone who is a stakeholder who is going to drive the process. Absolutely. Right. Um, full disclosure, um, Naseem Taleb, I'm a big fan of his work. It's, his voice is kind of like the background beat in my mind. <laughs> so I was heavily influenced by that, uh, by, by Skin in yeah. the Game. Yeah, that's the, uh, and I, I wonder if uh, how how trust emerges or how trust is built uh, by by increasing shared ownership and bringing more skin in the game uh, when people's incentives are aligned. Maybe trust is an emergent uh, thing in their emergent byproduct. True, you need to, um, very good question, because it's it really comes down to that. I mean, at the end of the day, every business is not some abstract concept. It's people working together. Uh, and yeah, when you create this you know, common base, then everyone has a, 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 an understanding. But you still need to increase the, the volume and velocity of interactions between these you know, uh, distributed units. And so what we did was we've, this has been a big part of my job, especially for the last three months, since we have been in COVID, because you know, you're sitting at home, you just get more time to do stuff, um, has been creating training materials and really vulgarizing uh, technology concepts to the innovation teams. And at the same time, bringing the, the technical teams and showing them how we go through the innovation process, that there is actually a method to it. It's a method that's been tried before again and again, developed over the years. Um, technicians love it when you have a certain kind of systematic thinking because they think like that. They're analytical people. They, you know, they need to break it down into different steps. And at the same time, when you when you educate people about the constraints of data, to what limits you can use data, um, how do you understand where a technology is in the evolution curve? When you take innovation people and make them kind of understand that, but with a with a bit more finesse, not just uh, you know as something which is a bit vague then they get a better understanding of the the type of um, solution that they can create. If they don't have that grounding, then they can go off in all different directions and that creates a problem. Because when you go with the solution or the, the template of the solution to the technician technical team, they're just like, these guys don't know what they're talking about, which is true to a certain extent. So we created a program called uh, Data Speak and Tech Speak. So those are two programs that I, like, that we created. And it's all about vulgarizing technology. What do you want to know? Do you want to know how blockchain works? Yes. Okay, fine. We broke it down. We gave you know, three-hour seminars, work materials, uh, help them actually visualize how this works. So we, we, we are big believers in visualization um, because whatever you can visualize, you can express linguistically as a thought, and then you can, you can translate that into a model or a product or service or whatever. And so we really broke that down over there and helped them kind of get it they don't need to go and code um, um, a blockchain. That's not the objective. But if they know how it works and they see, okay, fine, these are the existing limits. This is where it's being used, et cetera, et cetera. You can be, essentially give them masterclasses. 
not just on um, on blockchain but on multiple topics uh, which were in line with the group's current technological goals so the group has technological goals we've selected seven technologies and we'll be doing it with them so that's kind of like how we addressed it we created a common template a common baseline and then increased the the volume and the uh, the the velocity of conversation between them hmm. you shared with me uh, sorry yeah, just finish one final point on that was also how to how we approach the client um before what used to happen was you would have the people who have the innovation guys who would be the first point of contact with the client and the technicians would either be in the background or they come out a lot later uh we realized that this is actually stupid doesn't make any sense because if you don't have the the tech and data lead people in the very beginning of the conversation then you don't know what the constraints are or you just have to spend more time figuring it out mm. so now when we go and meet a client we ensure that we've got someone from you know the tech or data teams who come along with us and they ask the kind of questions that we might not think about it and so you leverage that cognitive diversity mm. that's true you also gave me uh, share with me an example uh, of of uh, you uh, while you were new to this unit i uh, i believe that you uh, shared and you had to like bring these different tribes together not just within the company but also with the client as well to refactor the expectation uh, 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 around the failures of of uh, or not necessarily a failure but try to change uh, how how a project was positioned uh, before and uh, you managed to do that by bringing these tribes together or, or or breaking down their jargon for each other so could you share that example in brief if that's yeah. Uh, okay yeah sure. i mean i'll call it what it was it, it was a screw up okay someone screwed up <laughs> um we have a client who is a very well known bank it's a large major bank uh which mm -hmm. is involved in capital markets investment banking retail banking etc etc and they were in the in the process of thinking about creating a new uh, a different way of going about procurement uh, to be to, to to get to the point um and they contacted us because they had heard about us and we had done a lot of work for the bank of ireland and rbs in the past so we seemed like the the ideal partner the only thing was they were really looking for a platform based solution and uh because of the nature of what, what the the kind of information that comes to their platform they are very large banks so they have that real aggregator effect the problem was not actually going and getting people to come and sign up on the platform the real issue was how are you doing a good matching process between what are the strategic objectives of the bank what are the managers really supposed to be working on um and how can they find the right kind of supplier in a very quick and easy way so they decided to go uh, with an nlp approach uh, and unfortunately the innovation teams who had gotten into it were not very well versed with nlp sometimes they didn't know about it but their knowledge was you know i, I wouldn't call it amateurish but it wasn't um at, at the necessary level either the problem with doing this process was um when you need to actually make specialized kinds of platforms it takes time and you have to take into consideration the client for always fee etc etc so it took them around 4 to 6 months if i'm not wrong to actually come up with okay how is this going to work what is it going to look like uh what is the output that it's going to be able to give you at a theoretical level etc etc 
uh, I had just joined the company that time. So by the time I'd come in, the project was already four or five months old. Um, and I wasn't supposed to be working on it. I was put on something else. Um, but one of the guys over there realized that I'd worked with NLP before and he called me over and he said, hey, what do you think about this? And my first question to his was, what does the technician think about it? Where is your NLP expert? Like who's doing, who's building this stuff actually? And he's like, oh, we're, we're going to meet them tomorrow. And I was like, oof, that, that, sounds, a, that sounds a bit risque. <laughs> and through that, when we went and met the, this person, he was just like, yeah, I'm not really sure we can build this. And why was this shown to the client? We, we should have had this due diligence done before and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, fine, you state a problem, but you don't dwell on it because it just leads mm. to a culture of complaint and blame. Mm. So what we did instead was I said, okay, fine. First of all, let's go back and revisit this in, in a more, you know, systematic way. So mm. I told the, the, the innovation team lead, I said, what you want to do is, is feasible. It's just not feasible in the next six months. It's going to take mm. more time. You need to break it into chunks. You need to be able to say, this will be the first part. This is the kind of data we need to get. This is how we're going to train the algorithm. We will have a test in terms of the efficiency of the, 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 the solutions. And then there will be a continuous monitoring process as new suppliers come in, et cetera, et cetera. So there's going to be a much bigger human in the loop factor, uh, which is not mm -hmm. something which they had actually explicitly stated. It was assumed that it's going to become automatic and you know alive by itself, which isn't mm -hmm. the case. Machine learning algorithms involve a huge amount of uh, manual input. Uh, and then once mm -hmm. I convinced them about that, we went back to the technical team and spoke about it in terms of that. We said, is this more feasible? How do you think you need to structure the data? What do you actually require? Is there a possibility for us to kind of, you know, um, reduce the, the training time, et cetera, et cetera. And the moment it became a bit more systematic, that there was a bit more logic in terms of the steps, both, that, both of them kind of changed their opinion. The final point was we went back to the client and thankfully we had built up uh, a nice enough rapport with them and convince mm -hmm. them that you know yes we told you that we, we, we'd be able to produce something like this but we've had a you know plans change we learn mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong in it and this is what we're actually providing you're not going to have to wait for too much longer it's only going to get extended by maybe another you know uh, 45 days or 50 days or whatever time it was i can't remember the exact time but we'll do it in this way and it'll be more progressive and then really got to talk in their terms because for them, it's all about brand and reputation and stuff like that. So in the end, that exercise kind of helped us realize that this is the reason why we need to have the technician and data people with us from the very beginning. Do not get them at the end. That is a, a really, really bad idea. And we've been trying to make it more and more mandatory. So yeah. Okay, that's uh, very helpful for a lot of uh, other other uh, I would say other smaller teams who are uh, experimenting with a more autonomous cell structure or or structure with a uh, more linkage between uh, between different tribes and different departments and even other uh, independent consultants who would be listening to this to use that approach in their in how they deal with their clients as well and uh, lead them in a different approach because a yeah. lot of uh, uh, a lot of new opportunities are emerging not in optimization now uh, but actually rebuilding across uh, the across the departments and certainly new 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 opportunities new products new models yeah. 
Right. So uh, thank you, Curry, for giving us uh, your time and sharing all this very helpful info. Uh, if someone wants to uh, uh, find you or reach out to you, what's the best way? I think LinkedIn. It's probably the the, the social media channel I'm most active on. So you just go on LinkedIn and put uh, K-A-R-Y space B-H-E-M-A-I-A-H. And you'll come across my profile. I'm pretty visible. Um, and just a concluding thought, if people are there who are like independent consultants and, you know, people who are working uh, as, 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 as solo entrepreneurs, um, if you ever watched the movie uh, The Layer Cake, there's a very nice line in that in which the person says the key to being successful at business is to be a good middleman. And I think that's something where indie consultants can have a, a, a phenomenal role to play in. If you can be that connecting probe that allows you to kind of see what's going on in the market and have some way to engage with these large firms and influence the way that they are actually like either communicating between themselves or thinking about the product design and stuff like that, then this becomes a lot easier because there's a lot of advantages working with a big firm. They have access to resources. They've got access mm. to very talent, et cetera, et cetera. They mature in their processes. Um, so that's something which um, if people are trying to work as independents, if you can position yourself in that kind of a way, it can be highly uh, interesting to for larger firms to work with you. That's very useful. Uh, thanks. Uh, I hope uh, some people will be who, who are uh, relatively, relatively new in the industry and still trying to find the right opportunities or the niches to a niche for them to position them themselves. This will be a uh, Pretty good or uh, useful advice for that. So we are coming up uh, on the 30 minutes mark. It's <laughs> gone way over than uh, what we scheduled. But thank you, Kerry, for being patient with us and uh, doing this. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me over. Thank you. All right. Bye bye.